Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, today's message. Right. Last week, we talked about God's grace. We talked about the unmerited favor, the favor that God has given us and we didn't deserve. But you know, that's a pretty small part of God's grace. Did you know that? Unmerited favor is kind of what we boil it down to, but a lot of theologians have a problem with this because it really, God's grace encompasses so much more than just favor. We have to realize, and, and Devin and the team, worship team saying about it this morning and illustrated in, he, in his prayer, that grace, everything about grace, all the blessings, all mercy, all love, everything that God had for us was poured out into one man, Jesus Christ. So grace all wrapped up in one person. And it's really interesting. We're going to take a look uh, a little bit today about this gospel message that was proclaimed. Because grace is wrapped up in the name and the person of Jesus Christ. So if you don't get him, you know how the commercials got milk? Well, if you don't get Jesus, then you ain't got anything. Because Jesus Christ is grace. Everything's wrapped up in him. But you know, it's really, and, and where the problem I think the theologians have is <clears throat> grace can be translated so many different ways. The Greek word uh, charis, there's all kinds of different transliterations. But one of them is power. And one of them, or energy. Charos, or excuse me, charisma. The word uh, charisma, like, you know, pastors have charisma. comes from the word power or energy, right? So there's so much wrapped up in that. If you start looking at, at Scripture, it talks about the power of God. I don't want to jump ahead, but I, I feel like I have to right now. Many times in Scriptures, in Romans especially, it talks about, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of of God unto salvation for those that believe, right? So it's, there's something about God's power that's wrapped up in all of that. So today we're going to be expanding our understanding of charis or grace in the realm that is God's power in Christians by which good works are produced and spiritual gifts are released. Grace is God's power to overcome sin, and grace is God's power in producing obedience through faith. So our text this morning, we're going to be looking at Romans 1.5. It says, through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. We're going to be camping on that, uh, that verse for the next, next two Sundays. Because there's, I mean, you could preach an entire month 
in one verse. Because it talks about some essential aspects of the gospel message and our part in it. This first section, it says, through him, through who? Him. Who who are we talking about here? Jesus Christ. Through him, we receive grace and apostleship. The work that Jesus completed on the cross compels Christians to respond by doing good works. So this section of scripture, it's it's talking about being obedient and, and doing good works. So the power of God to produce in us something that we're incapable of doing ourselves. Remember my little skit last week, the football skit, right? Were you here, everybody here? It was impossible for Ian to blast through Devin. But with me being his lead blocker, I outweigh Devin probably by 100 pounds. (laughs) It was possible then. So what it was impossible for us to do, Christ did. In that he gave us the ability. I mean, we talked about uh, the giver of grace and the receiving of grace. Remember that? So we're going to expand on that just a little bit this morning. It says, God is the giver of grace by giving his son, Jesus. He showed his great love for mankind. Christians, as the receiver of God's grace, respond in like kind. We lay down our lives for those around us in service. We are compelled to, to respond to Christ's love. I, I might have said this last week. Could you ever imagine not responding to a loved one's love? It doesn't happen. Because if I show you unconditional love, the love that only Christ can show you, and I consistently do it, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, that love is working on your heart. That's why the Bible says that if you teach a child the way that they should go, they shall never depart from it or they should return to it, right? So if you think about the prodigal son for just a moment, now we're going to get into some deep stuff here. Think about this prodigal son for a moment. He took all of his inheritance, he took all of his blessing, and he went off to a a foreign land, and he whined women in song, right? Spent all of his inheritance, just squandered it all away, found himself in a pig pen with the pigs, and we know for a Jew, that's, that's about as low as you can get, right? And he looks up and he says, even a servant in my father's house is treated better than this. So he runs back to his father, and his father sees him. And I think about that reunion. I think about that image for a moment. At what, and, I, and I ask people this. At what point did the father stop loving the son? Never. At what point did the son stop being a son in the father's eyes? He didn't. His father's love, the love that he poured into his child, even though he was far off and away from him, was still at work in his heart. So when he returned home, he rejoiced and said, my my son has come home again. He was dead, but now he's alive. That's pretty cool. Because that's a picture of who, who we are. We were dead, 
And, and it's this positional thing that you have to realize. I, I could receive the gospel. This is what I believe. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a Calvinist, so rock on. I believe that if we receive Christ's love, since it's nothing in us that deserved it anyway, it can't be undone. If God pours out his grace, he pours out his mercy, he pours out his love, and we receive that by faith, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, it does not change the fact that God saved me. I never stop being his son or daughter. Thank you. It's just a position. I moved away from him. He didn't move away from me. Now, sin, we know, separates us from God in, in some aspect. But it doesn't move him. It moves us. It moves a part of us. And what we have to understand, and I'm going to jump into a little bit of a theology real quick, is that we are created like God. In his image, we're created like him, right? In the beginning, it says, let us create man in our own image. In our image, let us create them. Right? How are we created like God? You ever thought about that? Oh. See, we're a, we're a tri, what they call a tripart being. We have three parts to us, don't we? We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. And God is three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are created in God's image to be a tripart being like him. Are you ready for some theology now, right? All right. See, I grew up in a, in a church, in a, in a dom- denomination that, that taught that it was <clears throat> salvation, so I was saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. You know what I'm saying? Well, those Holy Ghost, Holy Rollers, right? Where if the preacher wasn't spitting past the third row, he hadn't started preaching yet. But, you know, as I got older and I, I moved to Fayetteville and I got involved at Manna, and, and I started to hear about God's grace, it started to change something in me, the way I saw things. And one thing I realized was, you know, God did save me, but he saved a part of me, and there's a work that's continuing on. I'm a work in progress. Right? See, our spirit is made alive because it says that we were dead in our trespasses like we learned last week, but then the Holy Spirit breathes on our, our spirit and we come alive. So our spirit is made alive. Our soul, well, so we could say that our spirit is saved instantly, right? It's done. It's finished. Can't change it. Can't undo it. Our spirit is made alive in Christ Jesus. But we keep on sinning, don't we? We keep on separating ourselves from God because of our own sin, our own flesh, our own sin nature that's on the inside of us. So the problem that I had with that teaching was I'm supposed to be this holy, pure, sanctified uh, being, but yet I don't feel that way. Because I still have sin in my heart. I still have sin in my life. 
But when I came to realize that this process, uh, it's called sanctification, didn't happen in an instant, it's a process that takes time. That every day, God is teaching me to live from faith to faith. That I continually put my faith in him day by day, and then I am gradually transformed through the process of sanctification to become more and more like Christ every day. And once I realized that, I was like, oh, I'm not made right this very moment. Remember, do you remember last week when I told you, or the previous, I can't remember which, that we live in the, the tension between the already and the not yet? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he said it's finished, the work is done, but yet we haven't, re- we haven't seen the fulfillment of all the work yet. So in our own personal lives, it works that way too. It's finished. You, you are saved. You are going to heaven. Christ loves you. And the rest of your life from that moment is all about the process of sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus Christ. And we don't, and we get to this place where we beat ourselves up so bad about the sin in our lives that we end up pulling away from God instead of running to God. I've counseled a lot of people and I've walked this out in my own life. I'm almost 44 years old. I know that's young. But it's not that young. (laughs) I've learned a few things. And one of the things that I have learned is that God has a plan on dealing with sin. And when we realize it, it's going to transform our lives. And that's really, I mean, that, that in a nutshell is really what I, want to pre- I wanted to preach about this morning. But there's so much into his grace that I've got to hit a few other things. In, in Romans 1, Paul is saying something uh, that's it's deep here. It says, through him we receive grace and apostleship. Well, apostleship, we, we talked about the receiving of grace, but apostleship is a gift. Did you know that? It says that In Romans, it says that now you are Christ's body and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. Paul sees his position as an apostle as a gift of grace. Each one of us receives a spiritual gift upon salvation by the measure of faith which God has given us. Paul sees, it's, it's really interesting, if you, if you read the commentaries and you really look into this, Paul sees his position as an apostle as a gift from God, an outcropping of the work of grace. So each one of us could easily take Paul's um, idea here, and he says, through him we have received grace and, and we could just fill in the blank. See, because Paul sees his position as apostle um, as a positional thing, but also a gift from God. So, I've received grace in teaching. 
I've received grace in administration. I've received grace in motherhood. I've see, I received grace in fatherhood. God pours out on us the grace to fulfill the call that each one of us has in our lives. He says, live a life worthy of the call to which you have been called. Man, I tell you, that's one of my life verses because when I wake up in the morning, I don't feel like it. But I tell myself, today I'm going to live a life worthy of the call that Jesus Christ has placed on my life. Don't feel like it. Don't want to sometimes. I had a conversation with one of my sons yesterday. And I said, why didn't he did something wrong? And I said, why do you keep doing that? And he says, because it feels good. <laughs> and there's nothing perverted or anything. He's one of the little ones, right? It's just... You know, it's just like, because it feels good. Well, I told you to not do that. He's like, I know. Well, why do you keep doing it? I, I sent him to the room. It was like a process. He's like, I don't know. You know how kids do. I don't know. I don't know. Keep asking him, I don't know. Well, go to your room until you do know. <laughs> okay, I know now. <laughs> After about two minutes, no, I think you don't know. You need to think about it a little bit more. And he finally comes in and he says, because I wanted to. Wow. How deep is that? Okay, let's go a little deeper. Because it feels good. And I explained to him that, you know, not everything uh, that feels good is good. So we, we are called to live. We're called to live a certain way. But we're not called to live that way on our own. God empowers us through his son, Jesus Christ, to live a certain way. In other words, God has freely given me forgiveness and the power to fulfill the calling that he has placed on my life, which I accept by faith. When we get that, then it, it positions us in a place to receive all the gifts that God has for us. To realize that it's, it's through his power, it's his gospel, it's his promise it's his message. It's his faith. So God gives us gifts according to the faith that we have. But where does the faith come from? From him. <laughs> right? So we have faith to believe. God, God gives us that. God gives us the grace. He gives us the spiritual gifts. So our response is to do what? To use it. And to be obedient. So this next point, it says, in this next section, it says, through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. So now, a lot of us hardheads don't like that word obedience. I have a lot of grace for my children because I know what I put my mama through. She's right back there in that back room. You can go ask her. I was bad. And she prayed for me. And she made sure, even though she wasn't in church all the time, I think about when I was 12, that she, she got saved and really started following Christ. But the, those early years from birth to 12, she made sure that we went to church, but I didn't see it, you know, in her life. I didn't see it in my relative's life, except for my grandparents. 
and a few other ones. So it was pretty hard to understand obedience. And I, and I, I tell my children this all the time. I tell them that if you love me, you will obey me. They're like, well, I said, that's what the Bible says. God says, if you love me, then you'll keep my commands. Giver, receiver. God gave his grace. Now we're compelled to respond in like kind. Sin entered the world through the disobedience of one man, but the world was saved through the obedience of one man unto death. We need to respond in like kind through obedience, laying our lives down. And your notes say Romans 8, 1 uh, through 11. I, that was a mistake. It's supposed to be Romans 1, 16. Let's turn there. Because there's some good stuff right there. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Everybody say power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. For it is the, oh, I like this. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. Everybody say faith to faith. There's that process. As God preached the gospel and taught Abraham, we have the Holy Spirit working in us to teach us obedience, to live from faith to faith. You know, many, many people have asked me, how do I overcome sin in my life? You know what my answer is? You don't. Jesus did. People don't get it. We, we end up, this is my soapbox. Do I got a box to stand on around here? We spend more time on worrying about the sin that we have committed and hiding it and what am I supposed to do about it and, and skirting around it and doing all these different things that we miss the point. And I tell people this, and I told a young man that gave his life to Christ for the first time uh, back there last, I think it was last Sunday, Something just sparked in me. I said, you know what? And I, I know this kid because he was one of my students. And he gave his life to Christ for the first time. Amen? And I looked at him and I said, look, pursue God with all the passion that you pursued the flesh. If we were pursuing God with the same amount of zeal or, if, or more, if we were pursuing God with that much passion and that much zeal, we wouldn't have to worry about sin because Jesus would take care of it. But what happens is we sin and then we get focused on that sin. And we get ashamed of it. So then we focus on it more and then we start to hide it. and We lie about it and more sin and more sin compiles, right? And then we start doing this positional thing like the prodigal son, right? We start moving away from God. But you know that if you step into the light, darkness has to flee. 
Instead of running away from God, we should be running to God. Because the moment that we start following after him and we start fixing our eyes on him, we fix our, our speech on him, we fix our attitude and our actions on him, in response to his grace, sin is handled. Pursue God with all of your heart and you won't have to worry about sin. Grace takes care of it. That's the power of God. And we have to respond to that grace through obedience. Once you realize you cannot overcome sin, but only Christ in you, then you are empowered to pursue him with as much or more zeal than you pursued the things of the flesh. Faith produces obedience. The more, we, the more God teaches us about faith, I mean, this is a process, right? This is a process. It doesn't happen just like that. But the more God teaches us about faith, from faith to faith, the more we understand his love. The work Christ did on the cross is the ultimate expression of God's love. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. The covenant of grace is not without its commands and statutes. This is what I don't think people realize. That Jesus didn't come to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill the law to show us a better way. It doesn't mean that the commands and statutes of the moral law have been done away with. They're still there. The foundation, the fabric of our society is based on it. God holds everything together. That was his grace, by the way. God showed grace to Abraham. He poured out his spirit there. He showed grace to the Israelites and the Jews, and he poured out his law to show them their sin. He gave us Jesus Christ. He poured out more grace. He's been pouring out his grace from the beginning. So that our entire society and everything and who we are are, are, is based on that truth of God's grace. If God removed, I joked about removing your grace from your spouse last week. Well, what if God removed his grace from the entire world? All blessing. All faithfulness. That's scary, isn't it, Dan? If God just said, okay, I'm done, and he just removed all of his love, all of his mercy, what would this world be like? It would tear apart in chaos. Now, one of the songs this morning, it, it said something about taking us from chaos to, what was it, Devin? To order or glory or something. That, that, was, that was great. Because that's what would happen is if God removed that. It would be total chaos. We'd be totally lost. The motivation, the co- excuse me, the covenant of grace is not without commands. The, the motivation to keep them has changed from trying to earn God's favor to that of love due to the unmerited favor that we have received. It's our response, ladies and gentlemen. It's our response to the amazing love that was poured out on us in Jesus Christ, that Paul, Paul is saying that it's, it's through this 
that we can bring the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. That we can teach them how to obey God. Not to earn his favor, as in the law. Not to earn anything. Because if, and he kind of describes it this way, if a worker earns a wage, it's not due to the employer's favor. It's something that he earned. So no glory goes to God or goes to his employer. It's just something that he earned. But it was when we couldn't earn it that God gave it. And that's, what, that's where we have to come. We have to come to this place to say that, you know, never earned it, never deserved it. It wasn't mine to begin with. So all I can do is respond out of thankfulness to his grace. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life pursuing him. Got time for a story? My dad, I hope he hears this. My dad's about 84, 85 years old. So he was 40 when I was, close to 40 when I was born, or a little bit over 40. And he was not a very nice person, <laughs> to say the least. I remember growing up, and I tell my kids this, he had this old blue pickup truck, and he used to sit me on his lap. I must have been six, seven years old. Sit me on his lap, and he would let me steer the truck while we were driving home while he was drinking a beer. You know, no seat belts. Old truck on a country road in Iowa. Dad drinking beer while he's driving. With a, or while he's controlling the pedals while a six-year-old. <laughs> he was wild. I remember sitting on bar stools and watching him play pool and bars and when he would, when my mom would drop me off at his house, they were separated. Um, but I grew up really hating my dad because he was mean, real mean. Called, called you ugly things, smacked you around sometimes. But something happened when he was 74 years old that transformed his life. So and he got into um, an accident. He was on the farm. Uh, a, <laughs> like this, Jerry. He was a, uh, a lightning bolt had struck a tree and split a limb, right? <laughs> Jerry's tree just got hit by lightning. They just suffered through all that. Well, a tree had struck, uh, or lightning had struck the tree and uh, split the limb, damaging the storm. And my dad's tough. I mean, he's one of those old tough dudes, you know, from hills of West Virginia, man. He's like a coal miner and all that stuff when he was younger. So my dad at 74 years old in December in Iowa was up in a tree cutting a limb out. A big, I mean, not a limb, I mean a, a section of the tree out by himself in 50-degree weather, 40, high 40s, low 50s. So he cuts, he's cutting the limb, and he's not a Christian, never professed Christ. Cutting the limb, cutting the limb. And the limb breaks free. It hits the ground. Bounces back. The saw comes across his leg. The tree goes through his leg. And he, it pins him into the tree. And it almost completely severs the lower, lower section of his leg. And he's, he's in the lower pasture on his farm. So nowhere near the house. And... He's yelling, Mary, Mary, you know, it's for his wife. And of course, Mary's 
<laughs> good ways away. His dog's barking. He's up in the tree. And the only th- reason that he didn't bleed to death is because the weight of the branch was acted as a tourniquet. So he's up in this tree for like four or five hours. In 74-year-old man, 50-degree weather. So, you know, hypothermia starts setting in. He starts losing consciousness. He starts seeing visions. <laughs> he wakes up in a, in a moment. He says, God, if you save me, I'll tell everybody about you for the rest of my life. And an 80-some-year-old woman was driving down the interstate probably 20 miles away. And she hears a voice. And it says, go to your grandfather's farm. And my, my father had bought the farm from her grandfather. She was on her way to the University of Iowa to a, a doctor's appointment. And something told her to go to the farm that she hadn't been to in 50 years. So the lady goes to her grandfather's farm, pulls into the lower pasture instead of pulling in by the house. Pulls It's like a big U that goes through the property. Pulls into the pasture, sees my dad's dog barking, gets out. She has rheumatoid arthritis, crosses a field, goes to him and says, you know, do you want me to call? Life flight. She calls life flight. Light flight comes in, removes the tree, saves his life. And he tells everybody about what Jesus did for him. It was like miracle after miracle after miracle. And I found something out later on when I was talking to my dad. That when he was 35 years old, he was at a church in West Virginia, up in the mountains, West Virginia. Like a a full gospel type church. And the pastor gave, gave an altar call, and he raised his hand to receive Christ. And I never heard this before. He never talked about it. He gets up from his seat, and he starts to come down the aisle. And he saw a vision of, of Jesus at the altar. He got scared. He turned around and walked out. So from 35 to 74, he thought that God didn't love him because he turned his back on him. But in an instant, God revealed his love. You know, he brings us all to that place that we receive his love. Because it's, from the, it's, it's worked into the fabric of the earth, worked into the fabric of mankind, that his love constantly being revealed from faith to faith. Stand up with me. Could I have my counselors come? Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for teaching us, God, how to walk by faith. Lord, let us live this life that you have called us to. Let us embrace the calling to which we've been called. Not by our own strength, by our own gifts, our own talents. We know that it all comes from you. Teach us. We are willing students. We are thankful 
as the receiver of grace. Pour out your spirit on us this morning. Lord, as you transformed my Father's heart, Lord, transform all of us this morning with your love, your grace. Be with us today. Don't let us stay the same. Change us. Transform us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.